Hello, and welcome to the Gone But Not Forgotten podcast, all about remembering the lives and careers of stars who left us too soon. I'm Audrey Cornell. And I'm Louise Coleman. And today we are joined by Carla Valderrama of This Is Hollywood to talk about John Garfield. So we thought we'd just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, Carla, and what made you a fan of John Garfield. Sure. Yeah, I've always been a movie fan ever since I was like, probably like six and saw a Marilyn Monroe cut out at a party city and started to discover old movies and stuff. And from that, later on, I created an Instagram called This Was Hollywood, where I shared my passion about movies and stars. And from that came this book that was called This Was Hollywood, Forgotten Stars and Stories. And it was actually in writing that book that I became a fan of John Garfield, really for the first time ever, because I, I had seen John Garfield in The Postman Always Rings twice. But for me, that movie was more all about Lana. She was all that beautiful white outfit to the white turban looking all glamorous. And I thought John Garfield was good at the time, but that was really all I had seen him in at that point. And what had interested me about John Garfield was that he was seemingly like a footnote in a lot of film history books. People would say, oh, we came from the group theater and people thought he was a communist and then his career ended and then he had a heart attack and died very young. That was all I had known. And when I wrote this book, I was kind of like, well, this guy's kind of forgotten. What's here? Let's dig into this. Because I, like for me, as a movie fan, as an author, the thing that's the most interesting to me is the dig the hunt for information, discovery, the writing's like whatever, but I wanna be very much like, what's happening? And what I did not know at all was two things. One, just the artistry of John Garfield, just the mastery of the craft of acting and how he just pioneered method acting, which we know we can get into later. But also I didn't know in his personal life what he had underwent and the fact that HUAC, the FBI, and even the Hollywood studio systems, they knew he wasn't a communist, uh, but they decided to destroy his life anyway. That I did not know. And throughout it all, he remained full of integrity. He didn't name anyone's names. And his daughter, Julie, told me my father had a lot of integrity and that's what killed me. So ultimately it was discovering who this person was and what he had gone through, both in the sense of him achieving the American dream and then later being destroyed by the very institutions that could make that possible. But that's when I really became a fan was through this discovery process of this person who stood by his principles and what he believed in and always did the right thing. That's when I became a big fan of him. And now today, like he's very important in my life. I have a poster of He Ran All The Way in my living room and I look at it every day and it's a reminder to always choose integrity. So that's a very long, all over the place answer. We can break it down as much as you want as we go in, but that's how I became a John Garfield fan. It was like a slow kind of process when writing the book. I like that. <laughs> I like the integrity line as well. I think that's lovely. Yeah. That's the really the, the thing that was really interesting to me because John Garfield, he was essentially, the, he was the first method actor in the sense that he came from the group theater. And the group theater was this pioneering force started by Lee Strasberg, Harold Clerman, Cheryl Crawford. And it really was this like hotbed of left wing and ideas and this idea of making the theater essentially like a mirror to hold up to the American culture and show like, what are the values? What are our principles? What's going on with humanity right now? And while he was there, Clifford Odets had written the play 
Golden Boy for him. And Golden Boy is about a man who has a choice between choosing the integrity of being a true artist and commercial success of being a boxer. And in Golden Boy, the um, Joe Bonaparte chooses commercial success and his life is ruined. The irony for John Garfield was that John Garfield, he chose integrity throughout his life and throughout this whole ordeal with HUAC and his persecution. And because he chose integrity, his life was destroyed anyways. And that's the sad part about it. But so yeah, integrity was a very key part of his rise and also of his demise. So I remember reading like that he really wanted to be in the movie version of Golden Boy. Do you know exactly like why that didn't work out for him? Oh yeah, because Jack Warner of Warner Brothers and Harry Cohn of Columbia were having a feud. It was about, I think it was about money. I can't remember exactly. There was a lot of files I read, but it was basically, they were just mad at each other. And so Jack Warner was like, I'm not going to give you what you wanted. That's another big thing. It's like a lot of times stars, they don't realize today, like how kind of good they have. Like stars make one movie a year. It's their choice. I know I wrote about this in another story with Olivia de Havilland taking down Jack Warner in the book, but yeah. So basically it's if the studio had said, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. And that's was really sad because not only had John Garfield lost that on the part in Golden Boy, which Clifford Odets wrote for him in the group theater, and it's because Stella Adler's brother, essentially the director's brother-in-law got the part instead of Julie, even though Julie was supposed to get the part. So he missed out on it there. And then he missed out on it in Hollywood. And then at the end of his life, I'm so glad that he got to play the role on stage finally and that was like the last like performance like he had given and his daughter was able to see it and his family she tells a funny story of them being late to the opening of the of golden boy and the whole theater being mad at them and them walking in and then at the end when the curtain comes down and john garfield comes out he's blowing kisses at his family and then they realize that's john garfield's family so they're like all, all very nice and they're like oh my god it's john garfield's family like those people those people who we were mad at who came in late <laughs> but yeah he didn't play it because of studio politics for you personally, what are your top three favorite films of his and why do you like them so much? Definitely the films that he made with his own production company. So that would be Body and Soul, Force of Evil, and He Ran All the Way. I definitely, those for me are, he'll always be like most famous probably for The Postman or Always Rings Twice. That doesn't even rank like in my top five. I would probably even put the breaking point above that. But I, for me, the, the movies that he made, they just show a, what an incredible actor he is and how raw and incredible he is. And B, they show just how brilliant he was. Because I know like a lot of times, like in my research, people had said, oh, he's not very smart. Even his own daughter was like, oh, I don't think he was that smart. I was like, no, you're wrong. He was absolutely brilliant. What he wasn't with this elitist hoity-toity snob, he showed how smart he was in A, that he left the studio system at the time and created his own production company, which was pretty big. Obviously, he wasn't the first person to do it. Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks and Charlie Chaplin had done it, but that was like many years ago. By this time, the studio system is in full force. It's fully powerful. And for him to tell Jack Warner and say, I'm backing away right now, I'm creating my own production company, that was huge. And ultimately, that would play a role in his demise as well, because we can get into that later about why they chose to destroy his life. But he started his own production company. He decided to choose incredible writers like Abraham Polonsky to write the scripts, Jimmy Wong Howe to film them. He chose amazing, incredible actors like Shelley Winters and Norman Lloyd, who I was so lucky enough to interview when he was 104 years old. And those three films really show men in impossible situations. And they were films that really 
tore apart the escapism of Hollywood that had been popular before the war. After the war, you saw a lot of other films like The Best Years of Our Lives that came out that really showed this post-war world. And John Garfield really he took that even like a step further. He was like, here's like men in really messed up situations. And here are the hard choices that we have to make as human beings and really put a lot of his own personality in them. In the film, basically by and soul, he's being blackmailed to throw, throw a fight and that's like a very simplistic way of putting it. And so he goes in and Abraham Polanski even said that it reminded him of when he had to testify before HUAC. He's going, he's, he's going into the ring. Everyone has his expectations. Okay, he's going to name names. And again, the idea of naming names about who was a communist, like the pressure was is enormous. I don't think anyone today can sit back and judge people who did name names. I certainly don't. I don't judge those people. I judge the people who put them in the situation in the first place. So for John Garfield to go in there and he could name a name that had already been named and he would be like, okay, but he refused to do it. And they're sitting there and they're grounding him for hours. And he's not only is he refusing, but he's actually pointing at the hypocrisy of some of their BS in real life. Like I, I remember at one point during the testimony, one of the congressmen was like, you read the Daily Worker and if the Daily Worker writes about you, then you're a communist. And John Garfield's like, oh, so if the Daily Worker writes about anyone, then you're a communist. Okay. They wrote about this congressman. And of course they're like, okay, let's move on to the next question. And in Body and Soul, he's going in, he's fighting. And in the end of the day, he doesn't throw the fight. He gives it his all. He doesn't give in. And in real life, John Garfield, he doesn't give in. He comes out. And in the movie, there's this great line where the guy's basically telling them that he better watch himself, that everything's over. And John Garfield turns to him in the movie and he says, what are you going to do? Kill me? Everybody dies. And that line, it just like, hits me so hard. And in, in real life, it was the same thing. And the end of the day, all this pressure all this stress, all this disaster, it caused him to have a heart attack. He did die, and but his integrity never changed. It never changed the fact that he never named the name, that he didn't compromise his principles, that he didn't give in to these people, that he always did the right thing, even though he easily could have maintained his career, his family even, his livelihood, and everything that he had spent his entire life working for, and he did not give in. I love that movie because it mirrors a lot of what was happening in his life. There's also another part, and I didn't write about this in the book, but Hazel Brooks, the actress who plays that backstabbing, cl social climbing woman in the movie, John Garfield had chosen her for the movie. Behind the scenes, however, she's running to Hedda Hopper, who's this very big anti-communist gossip columnist, and she's telling her, oh my God, John Garfield, he is such a communist. You should see him the way he operates. And she was mocking him when his younger daughter had died and John Garfield was really distraught and he had taken a machine gun and shut up the back wall of his house and then gone up to the Hollywood Hills and had a breakdown. And she would use that and tell Hedda Hopper, he's crazy. He just takes his machine gun and just starts shooting things up. And it's like, wow, this person is exactly who she is off the screen as she would in the movie. Okay. But that's like another type of mirror to it. I also think a movie that's very underappreciated and very, most people probably haven't seen this movie is He Ran All the Way. And I love that movie so much because I think it's John Garfield at his rawest and at his purest in acting. He's obviously, again, like body and soul, mirroring what's happening in real life. In this case, his character is being hunted down and he's he's run out of options. One of the big discoveries that we made, like I made during this research process was his daughter told me that her mother had told her that at one point the studio had gotten together and it said it had to be a choice between Danny Kaye or John Garfield, but she didn't know how to prove it. She's like, I don't know how to prove this, Carla. I don't, I, this is what my mom told me. So one day I went to her house in New York and she had this box and she was like, okay, look through this box. And in this box was this, this manuscript and this work of this other individual, I think his name was Ed Medard, who had been planning to write a book about John Garfield. 
ultimately it didn't happen for many reasons we don't need to get into, but he actually interviewed Daryl Zanuck and Daryl Zanuck admitted to him. He said, oh yeah, it was, we were, the committee came to us and they said they weren't fooling around anymore and that they want to have a big major star to crucify. And they, for them, it was Danny Kaye or John Garfield. And they chose John Garfield because John Garfield at the time wasn't protected by the studios. He had turned his back on Warner Brothers. He had created his own production company. And Danny Kaye was under contract with Warner Brothers. So they were like, our money's on Danny Kaye, so go ahead. You can have John Garfield. Crazy. Zero remorse from Daryl Zanuck. Could you tell us a little bit about his production company and how that was influential for the time? Then also, as you mentioned, like led to his downfall in a way. Yeah, sure. At the time, he was signed by Warner Brothers and... When he came to Warner Brothers, again, like he, this was like barely radical. He had a small part, a supporting role and four daughters. Nobody really thought anything of it until the first day, like he came on set and they were like, what the heck is going on? This is something unusual. Like Hal Wallace, the producer, has sent a memo to John, to Jack Warner saying that John Garfield, it looks like he's digging a ditch instead of playing the piano because he's like playing it all like very moody with a cigarette in his mouth. And it's funny because it's like, they had never seen this type of acting before. Like he really was... Okay, technically, Franchot Tone was like the first one from the group theater to come, but he had come like pretty early. And if you've seen Franchot Tone, he's he's very different than John Garfield. John Garfield was absolutely like in the words of Norman Lloyd, he was a revolution. He really changed acting. Even when the New York Times when they wrote about his performance of Four Daughters, they were like, we we haven't seen anything like this. This is something so different. And the movie comes out, and he's he blows them all away. He's nominated for a an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. His career is huge. And because he is a he's a star, Warner Brothers putting all their money on him, but it's the studio system. You're making like five or six movies a year and you're not having really a choice. So if, if Jack Warner can put John Garfield in a bad movie with and still make a bunch of money, like he's going to do that because this is a, at the end of the day, this is a movie, this is a business and it's ultimately like actors are just like selling any other product. Um, but John Garfield, like many other actors before him and after him, he wanted a choice in the roles that he played. I would say at Warner Brothers, the best movie that he made, and I think it was his favorite film as well at Warner Brothers, was Humoress with Joan Crawford. And that was like a reverse A Star is Born situation. But other than that, he, he wasn't happy with the roles that he was getting. And so when his contract was up, he turned down a very lucrative offer from Jack Warner because he himself said, I want to have a choice in the stories that I tell. He wanted to tell, I wanted to tell like what he, like what was his reality, what was going on. Like the group theater, let's hold a mirror up to society. Let's show what's happening. And that's, he created his, produ- so he, he created his production company. And it's really incredible because at that time, the studio system is in full swing. People aren't leaving. It's very hard to leave and make your own production company. Many years later, Marilyn Monroe would later try it and do it. And she would fight Daryl Zanuck. And... Yeah, so for him to do that was ballsy, and it, as I mentioned, it contributed to his downfall. I also want to mention that, by and large, maybe not even by me, but all the people that were targeted by HUAC were Jewish. They were African American. Gene Kelly was in many fronts. Didn't stop. He, he was fine. He wasn't blacklisted. Yep. But he's not Jewish. Daryl Zanuck, also not Jewish. But Jack Warner, obviously Jewish. And some of the other moguls were Jewish. And they, a choice, a, a choice, monetarily wise, vengeance wise. Maybe he would have been chosen even if he was in the production, even if he was under Warner Brothers still. Maybe they would have chosen Danny Kay over John Garfield just because John Garfield was bothering them or whatever. Who knows? But ultimately, that's why he was chosen. With like the method acting, and I feel like he's usually credited for creating it. Could you put into perspective how? big a deal it was for him to be a performer in that sense 
Yeah, definitely. As I mentioned with four daughters, like him, him arriving into this movie at, in a supporting role, just out of the group theater, people like the, like Priscilla Lane and some of these people that are making fun of him for his preparation and him just shocking them with their performance. He opened the door for Montgomery Clift, James Dean, Marlon Brando, all, all these other people. I really just feel like the method acting like is whatever method it is for you to get to the truth. And John Garfield was very good at getting to the truth in a raw, unusual form that people hadn't seen on the screen before. A lot of people I've heard say he was like the Brando before Brando. Do you find these comparisons unfair considering that they have extremely different styles? unfair I would say that people probably just say that because we're human beings and our minds operate that way like in organizing information I know for me personally not long ago I was watching Love Me Tender which is Elvis Presley's first movie and in it I was like oh man this guy Elvis Presley like he could have been a James Dean or a Marlon Brando if he was given like the right roles like my mind just goes your mind will just go to a comparison because he's this type in many ways John Garfield's performances are stepping into dangerous territory here. They're a little better than some of Marlon Brando's because I remember watching a streetcar named Desire and I was like, man, this Marlon Brando's just mumbling with an apple in his mouth the whole time. That's a bit harsh, but it's like, it can, sometimes method acting can be a little over the top, but John Garfield in a lot of his roles, he's very, he's very subtle and he's very real. And I think going back to your question about the startling with the method acting, I think for me, there's this scene in Humoresque when I think his mother slaps him and he literally winces. He's oh my, like he winces and he's in pain. And it's oh, what is that? Because if you watch a lot of old movies, a lot of people are getting slapped and they're not reacting. Like Humphrey Bogart's getting slapped. There's the Maltese Falcon there. Peter Lloyd's people are getting slapped. John Garfield, a leading man being like, ow. It's like very unusual at that time. So yeah, I the him being compared to the Brando before Brando, that's just a, as normally I would say, it's a marketing technique. But it's also, yeah, they're also all very different. I'm just intrigued to know more about John's star persona, really. I don't really know a lot about the man behind the camera. He definitely was like goofy and fun. He loved his family. I know his daughter would talk about how when they lived in New York, he would take her to Central Park and play in like the merry-go-round and pay the guy. And he should go as many times as she wanted. He loved his children. The death of his Younger daughter, Catherine, was really tragic. Totally avoid avoidable. She was with the nanny. She couldn't breathe. And instead of common sense, you would take the daughter to a hospital. And instead, she drove over 100 miles with her gasping for breath in the car. She literally died in her mother's arms. For ultimately, something that was like a strep infection. Something she would have easily survived if they'd taken her to the hospital. That definitely added another layer to him. I think John Garfield was a fighter. He really fought for what he believed in. He did a lot. He had a heart condition, a medical condition that prevented him from fighting in World War II, but he was so determined to fight for his country in any way that he could. He entertained troops with the first USO tour. He started the Hollywood Canteen with Betty Davis and I think Jules Stein was the other one. He did so much for the troops and for people. He loved America. And so for at the end of the day, for people to come and say he's unpatriotic and using those things that he did against him, oh, you were doing all these things with Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. And so the Soviet Union during World War II was an American ally. Like, Jesus Christ, you never need this against him now. And for me, the most, probably the best thing I've ever read about what it means to be an American is a letter that he wrote to Hedda Hopper at the time of his destruction. And I found that at the Margaret Herrick Library and Hedda Hopper's 
file, I dug deep and I found this letter that he wrote and he asked her to publish it. She had Hopper refused. Head Hopper was very anti-communist. It's really a great letter about what it means to be an American. And what it, for John Garfield, what it means to be an American is the ability to think and think for yourself. And that's something that John Garfield always did. He's someone who's always fought for himself. And he was also a man of in, integrity in the sense that he never compromised on the values that he considered important to himself. Ultimately, yeah, he liked women a lot too. I didn't really write about it in the book because that's not that interesting to me. I think the idea that, oh, a movie star has a lot of affairs with people is like common. Everybody, every, the idea of adultery is something that for like thousands and thousands of years people have been doing. What people haven't been doing is being John Garfield. <laughs> like that's like more interesting to me. Like John Garfield as an actor, John Garfield as a human being. That's a lot more interesting to me personally. Do you think like his being blacklisted has led to him not really being remembered in current, in the current age? I think the biggest thing for John Garfield is that every, that Hollywood was so complicit in his downfall. And that's really, the shame of that is really the reason why he's forgotten. There's a reason why he hasn't gotten an honorary Oscar, I'll just say. Like, there's a reason, like, these people were responsible for his downfall. It wasn't so much, if it was just, like, the U.S. government and whatever, then, okay, maybe. But no, it's because people feel ashamed. A lot of his, the studios, they betrayed him. The doorman and the people that worked at his apartment building, they were sharing his phone calls, opening his mail. Share, there's so many people just felt ashamed by it. I think that is ultimately why John Garfield is forgotten. We can get into some of the nitty gritty. Sure, some of his films are, are because of legality are a little hard to, to show. I've always said that a lot of times when I was writing the book, I was like, what makes someone forgotten versus not forgotten? And ultimately, the reason that I came up with was, in general, was sometimes the reason that made them a star in the first place was the reason that made them forgotten. And that was just kind of luck because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how pretty you are, how talented you are, how many connections you have. It's just about, are you there at the right time in the right place with the right people that's going to get you up there. And, and a lot of that is luck. And a lot of that also for people that are forgotten, a lot of it is luck too. Like James Dean only made three movies, but that image of him with the red jacket it's he's the rebel man he's the rebel without a cause and it's if montgomery cliff had played that role would we be remembering montgomery cliff it's not james dean as that as that icon as that person who transcended i don't know marilyn monroe she died young as but as did carol lombard died young gene harlow died young jay mansfield they were blondes all blondes who died young they're mega stars but marilyn monroe is the one that we remembered they tap into something into the culture like james dean in that red jacket he resonated with later generations because the counterculture that's coming in the 60s and stuff that that rebellious image that angst that people are, are going to resonate with that but for john garfield i do believe it's because people are there is a lot of shame still because of that and because of hollywood's yeah. involvement in it and hollywood i think that John Garfield was just in the wrong time. Maybe that's a possibility of why he's forgotten. Had he not died so young, I that's the biggest tragedy, I think. Obviously, there's many other tragedies. His personal life was destroyed. He was, his daughter was robbed of having a father. At the end of the day, you're making movies. It's not as important as the reasons I just listed. But he, who knows what roles, like if he had written out the blacklist, like who knows could maybe he could have worked in Europe but like Jules Dassin was making amazing movies like uh, Rafifi and stuff I don't know if he would have done on the waterfront because of the blacklist but maybe he would have written it out and maybe he would have been in like I don't know 12 Angry Men or he would have played some other interesting roles in this by the time the 60s come the 70s Hollywood's a very youth-oriented industry but for me the older actors are more interesting one they're better they've had many years into it it just makes it so much more interesting I think he was in the right time place because he did introduce this new form of acting at that time 
And he was in the right place because he was so great to the American people during World War II. And he was such a backbone for, for society at this time during the blacklist and this horrific time where people were being persecuted for their beliefs. He was there at the right time. It's just sad that he his time wasn't longer. I think that's how I would put it. I wrote in my book about Valentino, I wrote of Valentino and his death and how people grief rioted, hundreds of thousands of people went out there. It's because they never met this guy. They never even heard him speak and they were out there because they connected something, that something resonated in them from him. And so I think the same thing was true with John Garfield. Like he really appealed to the masses. Yeah, a lot of people did go to his funeral too. Obviously not as much as Valentino, but as much as the government tried to destroy him. And the, I think the worst about John Garfield too was not only did he not name any names, was that after... He died, immediately after he died, these two gossip columns that they spread untrue rumors that he had, in the final hours, he had named names to the government. Not true. In all the FBI files I found that were uncensored, it explicitly said he never named a single name. He never did. Like, pretty definitive from the people that are trying to crucify him that are saying he never did this. And yet you still have this outpour of people. He meant so much. He's very proud to be Jewish too. I think a lot of, and I know I shit on Jack Warner here quite a bit, but as much as these moguls were monsters in the sense that they made a lot of cutthroat decisions, business decisions, they were also visionaries and we are all indebted to them. They were mostly all Jewish men whose families had escaped the pogroms in Eastern Europe and they came to America. And the only reason that they entered the movie business was because they were excluded from every other industry. And then everybody else thought that movies were disgusting. They were immoral. They were dirty. And that's why these Jewish men went in there and they invented what is now the like the studio system, the movie industry, as we know it. And we are in, we are indebted to those people. And I think the studio system has a lot of, you can say all day about there's a lot of flaws. Yes, there, it was not the ideal working conditions for some people, but they developed stars. If you had to recommend a starting point for a John Garfield movie, what would it be? Watch Four Daughters, the first movie came into. Discover him the way audiences in the 1930s discovered him. Discover. I would start there and then I would go to Humoresque. I would see The Postman Always Rings Twice, obviously, because it's iconic. You'll discover some, like a very groundbreaking, unusual, special actor like I, I would hope like i did if you didn't oh, that's the thing about movies and about art in general it's all subjective we can watch the same thing and have two different things from it yeah i know you mentioned earlier you're not like the biggest fan of postman why is that no i said that i'm not the biggest fan of postman i just think it's very studio systemy it's very it's got the studio system's pause on it i mean even the ending, which I'm not even remembering right now, I remember being like, this was unbelievable. I think John Garfield also, he didn't like the ending and he was like, this is ridiculous, this is, no one's gonna believe this. I just think in compare, when you see some of the John Garfield's other movies that he made later on, I just think that they're better. I think that they're actually more timeless, if that makes sense. I think they're more applicable. I think that they're more, they're really laying the groundwork for what's to come in the, 50, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Did you have any other like favorite co-stars that he worked with? Hmm. I like Marie Windsor always. I like Marie. I think she's always fun. Actually, Shelly Winters. Never mind. Screw it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Marie. Happy for a second. No, Shelly is boss, man. Shelly is always, she is just a well of emotion and feeling and everything that she does. I love her energy with Sean Garfield because she meets him. He's going 110 and she's meeting him right there. And I know 
behind the scenes, it was really tense. It was really dramatic for both of them. He was under incredible stress with his career ending and the end of his career and his livelihood. And he's making this movie and it's like really intense for him. In fact, he had a heart condition and he shouldn't have been doing the running and the swimming. Norman Lloyd told me he insisted on doing it. And it was like shocking. It's, it's almost like he was going after a death sentence at this point because they were like, you shouldn't be doing this. And he's what about Priscilla Lane? Because I know they did quite a few together. She's all right. She's like cute and stuff, but I can't explain it. There's some people who are freaking, I know she's a famous act, actress or whatever, but there's some people who are just stars. When I watch even like the worst Elvis movie, like the, and Elvis made a lot of bad movies. And he's somebody who, again, like King Creole is an amazing movie. It's incredible. It totally shows you what he could have been as an actor. But even in his bad movies, I can't keep my eyes off him. I'm like, this guy is amazing. He is a movie star. I would not be watching this movie if he was not in it. Okay. And someone like Priscilla Lane, I'm like, what could be anybody? Like, maybe anybody could be playing that role. Now it sounds harsh, but that's just my personal opinion. There's no right or wrong answer. But there's some people that are just like, oh my God. Never thought I'd be so harsh on Priscilla, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we brought this out of you. Yeah, you brought, you brought out the dark side. <laughs> I know early on he was pretty typecast. Do you think that kind of worked against him? Or do you think he still tried to make the best of the material? He was like top box office star. So it wouldn't, I mean, there's some people like that would just destroy them. Marilyn Monroe actively fought the studio system to stop playing a lot of these dumb blonde roles and to break out of that mold. And ultimately John Garfield, he did the same thing years before her. He didn't want to be putting these shitty roles. He was like, this isn't, I don't want to play like, this kind of stuff. Warner Brothers made him a star, just like Warner Brothers made Olivia de Havilland a star, and she later sued him about for choices for roles. And their argument was, like, "What made you a star?" And Olivia de Havilland's like, "Yeah, but my currency as an actor is contingent on the parts I play in, in movies, and the movies have to be good, or my career is going to suffer." And John Garfield knew that as well. That was the name of the game. Like for every good movie that people that a star made, they made five or six shitty ones. Sorry, this is such a basic question because I feel like this is so layered what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just feeling about, like, back to John. Are there any roles you would have liked to have seen him play? Like, anything that screams out to you? On the waterfront? Would he, be, would he have been good in The Godfather? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe in a role in a David Lynch movie, if he had lived out that long. Maybe, like, The French Connection or something would have been cool. Oh, my God. How am I ignoring the obvious one? Golden Boy! Because that was when he was born to play. And I, it would have been nice to have a record of that. Obviously, maybe we wouldn't have had William Holden because of that. Because William Holden, that was his breakout role. And I, lo I love William Holden. He's another one who's forgotten. He's made millions of great movies. But that was John Garfield's. It was, he ended up living the role. He played it once at, at the end of his life on stage. And he played it in reality in the final curtain of his life, basically. Was he more comfortable on stage, like, than in front of a camera? more comfortable but he definitely is on the record of saying that as many actors have said that the stage is an actor's medium film is all about directors and editing because in a stage it's just the actor going out there it's them and the audience There's, he definitely he loved the stage and he tried to go back to it as much as he could until he couldn't because ultimately the blacklist reached him like on the stage in the u.s as well his relationship with his family was a bit strained i guess from like some reports i read do you think he felt like he had to follow 
societal norms of the time of having to get married and have kids. He was definitely someone who did what he wanted his whole life. I think he met this woman at a block party, Robbie, and he was like, like Norman Lloyd said she was dynamite. He loved her. He got married to her. Obviously, everybody got married back then. So yeah, that's like some societal like pressure. He betrayed his wife in terms of adultery or whatever. But also, I don't, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know what their agreement, I don't know what behind the scenes or whatever, but he never betrayed her like to, to like the FBI or let me just put it this way. His whole life was in pursuit of creating like art and movies and delivering meaning to people in their lives. Everything he ever wanted, he had, and it was literally hung in front of him. We're going to take this away. Just tell us your wife is a part of the Communist Party and he refused to betray her. I feel like that kind of just speaks for itself. And he loved his family. At the end, he loved his family very much. He was a good father and stuff. He wasn't like the perfect husband in terms of adultery, but like we could say that about probably every other movie star pretty much in the history of the world. How do you think that John Garfield should be remembered? And is there any just like final thoughts that you wanted to share with our listeners about him and his impact on film? Yeah. John Garfield should be remembered as a groundbreaking actor who pioneered this new style of acting, which has now been referred to as method acting. He, sh- he should be remembered as a true and great American patriot who sacrificed everything, um, including his own life for his, co- for his country. It's the integrity that he had as an American citizen and his belief in this country and that America is a country where you can be anything that you want to be and you can you can think anything you want to think and nobody can tell you otherwise. And for him to do that while the U.S. government and the FBI and the studio systems, these people that are allegedly supposed to uphold the values of our country are targeting and destroying his life because of it he stood up and said no you've got this wrong this is not what america was about america is this is what america is about and i'm not going to bend on that and that's how he should be remembered he is my personal hero today as i mentioned i have he ran all uh, he ran all the way poster outside and i think about it all the time when it comes to doing even the simplest things like writing projects like i choose to do integrity i don't always choose to do the easiest thing like, sure, I can make money doing X, Y, and Z, but I don't really want to do that. What is the meaning of that? I want to do this other thing that's going to be a lot harder. Maybe it's riskier. Maybe I'm not going to make any money from it, but I know that it's the right thing. So he's a daily reminder for me to choose integrity over anything else. And that's how John Garfield should be remembered. I never met John Garfield. I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't there at all. This is many years afterwards. I have nothing. And I still feel a very deep emotional connection and a deep sorrow. And it's it's really painful, but he was an incredible person. And that's how he should be remembered. Integrity. Carla, do you want to plug your book? This was Hollywood <laughs> Forgotten Stars and Story. You can get it uh, wherever you get your books. You can get it on audio. Unless you hate my voice. But no, there's a lot of photos. It's designed like a movie magazine. And yeah, you should get it. (laughs) Will there be any more coming, do you think? It's in limbo right now. We'll see what happens. Again, I'm at the mercy of the powers that be. But I don't know. I go back and forth and I look at the poster of He Ran All The Way. And I'm like, stick with it. Stick with it. Just stick with it. We shall see. To be continued. Looking forward to it. I love you girls. You guys are so amazing. And I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. And keep it up. You guys are rock stars. I love you. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. We had a great time talking with Carla. And make sure to check out her book. I will link it in the description. I really love the book. It's what got me into old Hollywood and what taught me about John Garfield. So it has a special place in my heart. And it was such an honor to be able to meet with Carla 
So please follow her on Instagram, and I will link that as well. Join Louise and I in two weeks. We'll be talking about all of the John Garfield films that we have seen. We'll answer some of the questions that we talked about in this episode along with some others. And please send in some questions on Instagram for us if you have any that you'd like us to cover, anything you would like us to dive deep in in relation to his personal life or his films. We'll also do our fan casting, of course. Lots of good stuff. Uh, Have a great holiday season. We appreciate you all very much. This podcast would not be possible without you, so we love you guys. Um, Stay safe, stay warm if it's cold where you are. We'll see you in a couple weeks, and have a great day. This episode was co-hosted and edited by me, Audrey Cornell, and co-hosted by Louise Coleman. The music was written by Nia D'Amelio. Gone But Not Forgotten is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.